Thanks so much for that warm introduction. Um, I got to do the old school testimony. I want to first of all give honor to God, who's first in my life, to my pastor, James T. Roberson III in Bridge Church. Uh, greetings from the Deep South, a.k.a. Brooklyn. Um, <laughs> Uh, we are glad to be here, and um, I'm always honored when uh, Jordan gives me an invitation to uh, preach here. Uh, I get a chance to work with him and uh, Charlotte, Cedra, some other folks uh, with Pray March Act, and so I get a chance to connect with the Renaissance love all the time, and anytime somebody is passing through Bridge in Brooklyn and they're you know, like Harlem-based or in the Bronx or whatever, like, yo, you got to check out Renaissance. And, uh, and, and so we, we d- really much do consider ourselves um, a sister church. I was thinking about the last time I preached here, and you don't probably remember, and that's okay because it was summer of 2020, and I was in some random apartment uh, filming it, because we were still on lockdown, so there was no gathering. And as I was thinking about that time, y'all remember summer 2020? Like, just to to take you back a little bit, right? So everything is shut down mid-March, and we thought, oh, we're just having like this cool little slumber party for like two weeks. But summertime, hot girl summer, uh uh-oh, watch out, we about to break out during the summertime, and then like variant was like, psych! And just, we were all, and then that's when we, it it really hit us, I think, collectively, that this was not going away quickly that summer. And as as I think about that time, I also think about the difficulty of that realization and some of the pain that began to set in as weeks of isolation turned into months, as people began to leave the city, leave the church leave their faith. And I thought about the disappointments that came and the difficulties, even with those who didn't leave. I remember, um, you know, so during that time, we're doing everything on Zoom for the first time. So whereas before I was going to an office and meeting with the other pastors at Bridge, now my wife is hearing all my conversations on Zoom all the time. And then, you know, it's just kind of like, can you go someplace? <laughs> like, so it even changed the relationships that we had with others. And so it's no surprise that there's been a rise of anxieties, a rise of despair, a, r- a rise of a sense of hopelessness throughout this time. And if we really sit in that, we realize that there were lots of hopes and dreams and expectations that you had that just all crumbled over the last couple years. And even when we look at the unrest and the instability of our nation recently, right? Last week was a hard week for a lot of people in light of Supreme Court rulings and things that felt like were rolling back progress. And it reminded me of, in Proverbs 13, 12, it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And there's a lot of deferring, not just of loans, which now folks got to pay again, but deferred expectations that have happened in this time. And so I want to speak today about the foundation for hope. 
Because in times like this, it becomes very important, I would say even essential, that we're building a sense of hope on the right foundation. And why is hope not just optimism and not just something of wishful thinking? Well, we're going to get into that. Because when life is hard, hope is hard. But I would submit to you that especially in the midst of hardship, hope is all the more important. And we need not just faith, but we also need hope. And we're going to get into the difference between the two of those. But the thing I love about God and the scripture is that whenever there is a problem or a tension, God doesn't run away from it, but it actually, he actually leans into the tension and leans into the despair. And so the passage, we're going to take a little bit of a detour from Galatians, which I know you guys have been going through, to, to look at a community that also was hit with a lot of despair in the book of Hebrews. We don't know who wrote uh, the letter to the Hebrews, but what we do know is that they were experiencing a lot of different hardships that impacted their relationships with each other, impacted their relationships with God that was completely destabilizing to the point where people had to move out and leave places because of persecution that they had experienced. And so it should be of no surprise to us that in the first 10 chapters of Hebrews, the word hope is mentioned seven times and faith four times. And that's before we get to chapter 11, which we know is the hall of faith, this chapter that we're going to zoom into the first couple verses of today. So if you've ever struggled with hope, if you're dealing with despair right now, I want you to be encouraged by the fact that you're in good company, that you're not alone, and that God sees and hears your cries, and this word is a word to help respond to it. Because at the end of the day, what we want to know is how can I build a life of victory instead of failure? We've felt like we've taken a lot of losses over the the last few years. But I would submit to you that when we build on the right foundation, we can still find victory in the midst of despair. Is that all right tonight? Okay, see at Bridge, what we like to do, we like to talk back a little bit. Is that all right today if we get into that? Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you that you meet us where we are and that even as we wrestle with hope, wrestle with dreams and hopes deferred, that you would speak to us here today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 11 as we ask this question, what is the foundation for hope? Hebrews 11.1 reads, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So we see right there in the first verse that we we have this description of faith, and then also you see this word hope that is mission. And in between, there's this word assurance. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, which translates that word assurance. But if you were in the contemporary English translation, it would say faith is the reality of things hoped for. If you were maybe reading a different translation, it might say certainty 
right? Assurance, certainty, reality. And all of these English translations is trying to get at the nuances of this Greek word hypostasis, which is translated here assurance. Now, when you think about hypostasis, hypo in Greek means under, stasis is foundation. So what it's getting at is it's saying that faith is the the under the support, the under the foundation of the things that you're hoping for. And, and, and so underneath it, it has to be built on the right thing. Because, you know, building on faulty foundations is disastrous. We saw this a few months ago. Y'all might remember that. Remember that, um, that parking garage that collapsed and like cars were destroyed, someone's life was taken. And, and when they looked to it, try to figure out what happened, what they discovered was that it was completely unstable. The foundations had cracks and was defective. It wasn't up to code. And if we're to be honest, if I'm to be honest, I can recall times in my life where I was building on a foundation that was defective. You see, can I testify for a second? I didn't grow up in church. In fact, my my name, Rasul, is Arabic. My parents had joined the Nation of Islam, and so they gave me an Arabic name. Uh, After they broke up when uh, I was around two, we just kind of drifted into secular, just nothing. I just couldn't eat pork. That was always the ground rule. I had to read the ingredients everything. That, That remained. But outside of that, we just didn't go to church or anything. But what happened by the time I get to high school is I essentially had built on a foundation, because we all have one, of my own goodness. I was a great student. I was second in my class, uh, National Honor Society, senior class president. Um, you know, I was killing the game. So I thought. And in fact, I thought that that resume made me better than other people in my class who were doing other types of stuff. And partaking in other activities that were, may have been illegal or immoral. And so around that time, um, that was my perception of myself. Like, I don't need, I, I used to debate with Christians. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like, you think you know the one Ray? How could anybody know? And I would just think, I don't need that. That's a crutch. And so what had happened was, um, I found myself in a very unique situation for me. I was what you would call maybe a, a late bloomer, socially awkward. So I was in a scenario where two girls liked me at the same time. Never happened before. This was brand new territory for me. And so um, after thinking about it and conferring with my friends, I decided to take advantage of that situation and be in a relationship with both at the same time. Yes. What I sadly learned, though, was that you can't be a player if you don't have game. So <laughs> after a couple of months, uh, the one was, you know, basically confronted me and was like, yo, are you cheating on me? And I said, yes. She, and I'll never forget what she said. She said, you're no better than other guys. In fact, you're worse because you think you're better than them. You see, all throughout the time that we have been talking, I had been, you know, talking about how the guys in their previous relationships were dogs and they did this and she deserved better than that. But when I found myself in the same situation, I did the same thing. And all of a sudden, in that moment, my foundation for how I saw my life had crumbled before me because I knew she was absolutely right. 
And if we're honest, many of us can build on the wrong foundation. It may not be your own goodness. It may be your resume. It may be what other people think of you. Whatever it is, it's disastrous if it's not built on a solid foundation. Now, the thing about foundations is even though they're important, they take a long time to build. And the higher you want to go with a building, the deeper the foundation has to be. Oh, that's a word here for somebody. The higher you want to rise, the deeper your foundation needs to be. For example, the One World Center down in Lower Manhattan. You know, we know that's one of the biggest buildings in the city. Its foundation is 110 feet deep. That's a 10-story building beneath the ground to hold up the building that's above it. But the thing about foundations is nobody ever drives by and says, wow, look at that amazing foundation. So what you have to do is build something in obscurity, build something that people can't see while people are not watching or paying attention, while you're seeing other people seemingly rise. You got to go deeper. And so the first point is that faith is confidence and assurance in the foundation. And the fact that the process of building a foundation is good. And faith in particular is the foundation that Hebrews 11 points to. Faith is necessary to participate in the eternal salvation promises of God. Faith requires, though, conviction about the unseen realities of God and his promises. But this is where oftentimes our culture can get it wrong about faith. People think that faith is virtuous in and of itself. But as we just described, if your faith is in the wrong thing, then it can still cause your life to be jacked up. So it's not just enough to have faith, it's faith in what? Faith in who? And if we go back just a little bit, rewind the tape from Hebrews 11.1, 1, just a few verses before in the previous chapter, we see in, this is, he, he tells us right there what the, what the foundation and what our confidence should be built in. In Hebrews 10.19, we read, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance, there's that word assurance again, in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, there's a lot here that this author is getting at and what he's breaking down. He's appealing to their understanding. This was a Jewish audience of the Old Testament sacrificial system. And what he's pointing to is that he understood the fact that there was a whole tribe, the Levites, that were set apart in order to essentially be priests that would intercede for the people. And because of their sin nature with God, that they would take a lamb to the holy places, the holy of holies, once a year on the day of Yom Kippur, sacrifice that lamb for the sins of the people. And that, that blood of that lamb would atone for their sin. And they did this year after year after year. But the priest, before he could get to the people's sin, had to also intercede for his own self. 
because he too was a fallen person. And what Hebrews is saying is that that which was done before was just a shadow of the substance that was coming later. In other words, what was done before was pointing to a greater, truer lamb that was going to be sacrificed, which is why John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus, he says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was identifying the fact that Jesus in himself was not only the lamb, but he was the priest at the same time. That with his body, once for all time, he was interceding for us by dying and that through his flesh, we have a great priest in the household of God. And so as a result of that, we can have full assurance that we don't have to go to the next year or the next year and the next year and wonder if there's going to be sacrifice for us. Jesus did it once for all time so that now we can have fellowship and communion with God confidently. And that's good news. That's the foundation that he says that the hope is built on and that our minds And that our hearts are sprinkled and cleansed because of this relationship that is made new. So the second point is that the only firm foundation is Jesus. They were being tempted because they were being ostracized and alienated by putting their faith in Jesus by their community. And so they were linking, well, maybe we should go back to the old ways. And he said, no, 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 no. Those always was just pointing you to the authentic thing that God was eventually going to do once for all time. And I was able to see the difference in building this foundation myself. So I kind of left you halfway in the story. So after I got told off by the, the one girl, I decided to just come clean and tell the other one as well what I had done. So I told her, you know, I, yeah, I've been cheating on you and da-da-da. And so I was just ready for the hailstorm to just fall again. And she said, I forgive you. And I did like, like the Scooby, like, hmm? <laughs> Why? She said, Jesus has forgiven me for everything that I've done, so I don't think I should hold it against you. I was blown away by this. Somebody said, wow, that wouldn't have been my reaction. <laughs> That's all right. God ain't through with you yet. Um, <laughs> so, so I'm like blown away by this because remember, my foundation had been blown apart. And so now I'm like, well, how do I become made right with you, with God? And so she began to invite me to church and I began to hear the gospel. And I remember being like, you got to be kidding me. My first time going to churches. I'm like, you mean to tell me the very thing that y'all focus on is the fact that you're not good enough? And that Jesus paid the way so you could be in relationship with God and each other. Like, I had thought that it was kind of like the National Honor Society. Like, like, that you just had to, like, be a really good person, better than other people, and then you could get in. But it was, in, and some people do act like that. But that's a whole other sermon for another day. But in reality, what it was was something much more deeper that said, no, 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 no. We are, we are those who recognize our own brokenness. And so I began to put my faith in Jesus that summer, just a few months later. And it changed everything because all of a sudden I realized I didn't have to try to be better than anybody else. In fact, the deeper the foundation went, the more I realized that the closer I got to God was when I was realizing and admitting how broken I actually was. That was where the intimacy came. Somebody will get that later. So he says, 
Faith is the substance or the, you know, the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So things hoped for, that's where we get into this aspect of faith and hope. What is hope? The definition of hope, according to Oxford, is a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. Now, that definition is close in the aspect of an eager expectation, but it's still different than the Christian perspective of hope. Because, see, in the world, it is a feeling. Like, people say, I hope I get a raise. Amen. I hope my team wins this year. If you're a Knicks fan, then that hope has been really stretched (laughs) over time. (laughs) I'm... I'm just saying, there are hopes in the world that don't quite materialize. (laughs) People come to New York City with a lot of hopes, right, to make it in Broadway, to make it in finance, and and oftentimes, these are hopes that are diminished hopes, because they diminish or they die out over time, and here's the crazy thing. Have you ever heard somebody who did get to the mountaintop, their team did win the championship, they did get the thing that they were hoping for, and then they get to all of that and go, is that it? And it diminishes even after they got it. How many of us were hoping to get that raise? We got the raise, and then somehow, some way, we got more bills. We're in debt more than we were when we were struggling. A prophet and philosopher from Harvard once said, more money, more problems. But yet, so many people put their hope in money, right? So the Bible describes a very different kind of hope, a hope that doesn't die and a hope that doesn't diminish. In fact, it's what Peter calls a living hope. If you go to 1 Peter 1.3, this is what it says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Somebody say living hope. You see, he contrasts this living hope with hopes that are dying or diminishing over time. It's like you might want to get that new car as soon as you drive it off the lot. Its, pro- its value has decreased 20%. It's a diminished hope. And he says Jesus isn't like that because actually there was already a sense where he not only suffered and died, but he rose again. And so as a result of that resurrection, we have power and we have hope that life is only going to get better because if he could endure the cross and it, the thing that was seen as a symbol of torture and shame now is looked upon as a symbol of victory, then guess what? That means anything that is happening in your life and in my life can also experience that same redemption. It's not a dying hope. It's a living hope. But we have to be careful not to put our hope in the wrong things. Because false hopes are disastrous. There's a gate that reads, Arbeit mach frei in Austria. It has been there now for over 70 years. It was built by the Nazis, this gate was. And it was the entry point of concentration camps in which they would slaughter and annihilate millions of Jews. There were a lot of truly diabolical ways that Nazis deceived and manipulated their captives, but one of the most 
pernicious was this offering of false hope. Arbit makfre means work sets you free. So instead of letting them know that they were sent to these camps to die as part of this extremist ideology and just something that was really evil, what they were told was that if you work as hard as possible, maybe you might survive. And so while their rations were being taken away, while they were essentially being starved to death, they were, this work was caused to hasten their own demise. Work sets you free. This same type of lie, this demonic deception, is still an enemy that many of us believe in. If I just accomplish enough, if I just work hard enough, if I just achieve enough, it will set me free. And we find ourselves building on a faulty foundation. And if I'm really honest, we can then try to baptize it and do the same thing in ministry. Can I be real with you? Because I'm a pastor, so I'm, I know what I'm talking about. A few years ago, before I was a pastor, I was serving as in a ministry in which I was doing music ministry. I was basically leading together bands. And this one particular band, we got to be able to do a record deal. It was great. One of the albums came out. It was amazing. And it was, we were scheduled, it was a three-album deal. We were scheduled to do another album. And this album, y'all, like it was mixed, master. I was like, this is going to change the game. I was, I was convinced. And, and what that meant, and yeah, yeah, it meant the gospel was going to get out further, but it also meant people were going to know who I was and the fact that I had put this together. I was really excited about it. And then through a lot of different things I don't have time to get into, the whole thing, two months before it was scheduled to be out, I mean, we had done interviews, photo shoots, and everything, the whole thing collapsed and the album never came out. I was crushed And as I thought about its impact on me for years, it took me a while to realize that it wasn't just because, oh, well, the gospel could have got out in further ways. It was also because there was a lot of me in it. There was a lot of my identity that was connected. And somehow when it fell apart, I fell apart too because I had built it as part of my foundation. And brothers and sisters, I want to tell you that you can even use ministry to be part of the foundation that you're building instead of Jesus. But there's a better way. In Hebrews 6, 19, look at what the writer says. He says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Once again, he's taking us back to the picture of the Holy of Holies where only the high priest could come into once a year and intercede for the people. And he says that this hope that we have is a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. And that word picture anchor is very important because what anchors do is that when there's a storm that's coming through and there's a ship that is being battered by the storm, oftentimes captains will sink the anchor into the sea. And no matter how much the storms are blowing back and forth, the boat doesn't completely get shipwrecked because it's anchored in something solid. And what he's saying is the thing that can anchor you in the storms of your life is Jesus. Because he's entered into behind the curtain. Amen. Amen. Has Jesus ever held you down like an anchor? Yeah, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. 
You're like, I'm here today. I don't even know how I got here. I just knew I had no options. I had no solutions. All my creativity, all my network had failed me and let me down. And somehow Jesus made a way because he's an anchor and he held me down. And so here's the thing. True hope is found in the one who offers a greater hope. That's how true hope is found. Now, this is going to take some nuance to get into because there's two aspects that are true. It is true that when we read in Ephesians 3 that our God can do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or imagine, it is true. I never would have thought that when I wandered into that church or when I confessed my sin to that girl that I would be here preaching the gospel years later. I never would have thought that I would have done the things that God has allowed me to do. And so there is an aspect in which, yes, God can take that dream that you have and even make it bigger. And yet at the same time, there's a bigger story that's being told. And you know what's interesting about faith and hope? Is it's possible to have faith in God, but not have hope. You're like, yo, how, do, how can you add that? In other words, it's possible that you believe in God, but you don't believe God, that he can do exceedingly abundantly. And that's a very miserable place to be. Because what it means is I believe that there is a God of the universe who's controlling everything, but he doesn't have my best interest at heart. And it's depressing. But there is a truth that no eye has seen and no ear has heard what God has in plans in store for those who love him. But you know what we often miss with that? We usually think about that and emphasize that about the haters and the naysayers who don't see my come up coming, right? But no eye means including your eyes too, which means that God has veto power and editing power over your hopes and dreams. And and if we're not careful, we can end up putting more hope in the thing versus the hope of the God of the thing. Let me put that differently. We're not just baptizing our hopes and saying, well, all the things that I hoped that would happen, I'd be a millionaire by the time I was 30, I'd be married and had kids by the time I was 35, is going to happen because I'm now praying for it. What we're saying is that ultimately, God is the hope. Intimacy with him is the thing. (laughs) That everything else is then filtered through so that regardless of what those things may happen, my little lowercase h hopes may or may not come to pass, but my capital H hope that the one that's over those hopes is doing exceedingly abundantly in my life above what I can ask or imagine, even in my disappointments. That's big girl faith. That's big boy faith right there. That's, that's different. That's an anchor that's holding you down because it's ultimately built on something bigger than what you could see or even imagine. So now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Not seen is the challenge because oftentimes of our past and because of disappointments. But the reality is the gap between reality and where I currently am and what God has in store for me. The gap between those things is hope. A a trust and an expectation that God has my best interests at heart. Where have your greatest expectations become your greatest disappointments? Where you say, I don't want to get my hopes up anymore because I had hope and those things got crushed. This is where Hebrews eleven six 6 is helpful for us. We read, and without faith, 
It is impossible to please God because anyone, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And this is where we see the combination of faith and hope. The fact that he exists, that's faith. The fact that he rewards those who diligently seek him, that's hope. The fact that somehow what I'm expecting and hoping for will turn out for my good, even if it's not the way that I perceived it, is the message to this body of believers, the message to you today. You see, they were experiencing persecution and were starting to wonder, is it all worth it to follow Jesus? Look at the way that I'm being rejected. Look at the way that I'm experiencing loss and hardship in my life, the opportunities that dry up because unlike everybody else, I'm trying to do things in a way that's fitting with integrity and honesty or whatever. And what Hebrews writer does from chapter one to chapter 10 is to show them first chapter one. Jesus is better and greater than the angels. Jesus, in chapter 2, is better and greater than Moses. And he keeps going. Jesus is better than all the things, the sacrificial system that you put your hope in, even each other, because his resurrection is the foundation and the anchor for your life. But rewards come after hardship often. You know, it was wild that, you know, as Brandon mentioned, uh, we were able to put out this film, Juneteenth, Faith and Freedom, last year, and it was amazing. PBS picked it up this year. And thank you. Yeah, praise God. It was an amazing thing. One of the things that was a trip, though, was um, my, actually, it wasn't even my idea. My supervisor was like, you know, it'd be good to have some music to go with that. And I was like, yeah, we'll put out a few songs. Well, it was this pivotal moment. And it was literally in the uh, film, I interviewed Lecrae, two-time Grammy Award winner, all that. And at the end of that, I tell him about the project that we're doing. And he says, you know, I have a song. I was going to put this on church clothes for, but maybe it fits better with this. I can send it to you and see if you're interested. I was like, I'm interested. (laughs) He was like, well, you want to listen to it first? I said, I I told you, I'm good. (laughs) Like, let's go. And so at that point, we're like, wait a minute. We just have an album now, 13 tracks. We just put out a deluxe version Friday, so you can go get it wherever your music is played. And this was the thing that was a trip. Ten years after that previous album had collapsed, God had redeemed this aspect and made me an opportunity I wasn't even looking for that was going to reach people. But it was ten years after. Don't put God on your timetable. He may not come when you want him, they used to say, but he'll be there right on time. And here's the thing. Faith is the most important when doubt is most tempting. And hope is most needed when despair is most powerful. These are things to hold on to. So in other words, when when you're absolutely ready to throw in the towel, that's when you need the hope the most. And here's why we can have that confidence, because Christ is greater than anything else that we can put there. He's superior, and he's the thing that we can truly build our lives on, because he will bring to pass what he has promised. Well, after (laughs) Hebrews 11.6, what ends up happening is this incredible story of faith that gets told through the community. And here's the important thing. Living hope is based on the only true foundation, faith in Jesus. That's that's what we have. That's what we have. 
And even though that's the foundation, you do realize a building isn't complete when the foundation is laid. Like, that's a good start, but you still need walls, <laughs> roofs, ceilings. And the next part of this, and this is it, I'll say this and I'll be out your way, that is so essential is that how a foundation gets laid or how a building gets created after the foundation laid. Look at what else it says in Hebrews 10. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Two things to look out here. First of all, he says, okay, let us keep the hope without wavering, but then also let us stir up one another to good works, the good work of building the house together, because we were never meant to do this apart. And he says, all the way, as all the more as the day draws near, the day of Jesus coming back, there is so much alienation. And part of the reason why is because we're alienated from each other. We've gotten out of the habit of fellowship. We've gotten out of the habit of communion. And so as a result of that, we can easily try to do this on our own, but we were never meant to be doing this alone. Christianity is a team sport. We can't play it like it's an individual one. And living hope is built in community. This is why right after he gives this explanation in 11.6, it goes on to talk about by faith, Abraham, by faith, Sarah, by faith, Rahab, by faith. And it goes throughout the list of all the people who did incredible things by faith in order for the folks to see that they're part of a community. And I would submit to you that part of that story we have to add is by faith, Brandon, by faith, Charlotte, by faith, Jordan, by faith, Jessica. The reason why we are gathering together together is to share and lean on each other's faith and hope so that we can hear the testimonies of what God has done and have more hope and faith together. You, that makes sense? Amen. We need each other. Faith in Jesus is the foundation. Hope in Jesus is the focus. So I want to ask you to stand with me as we close out because we're about to experience communion together. And there's this beautiful picture. We're going to sing this song called Divine Exchange. And this message is all about the divine exchange. Where because Jesus put himself in our place in harm's way, because of his death, burial, and resurrection, we now have hope, a living hope, a hope that we can build our lives on, a hope that won't disappoint, a hope that may surprise us but I hope that's better and greater than what we have in store for ourselves. Because some of the things that we hope for, we look back on it, we go, I'm glad God didn't get that to me because I wasn't ready or it wasn't the right thing for me. Jesus, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, said, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. What's your life founded on? What's it built on? The invitation every time we gather is to build your life on Jesus. 
He's a firm foundation. And even for those of us who made that decision initially a long time ago, the reality is like me, we can still start to use other materials in that process and be reminded and need to be restored. And communion is another opportunity that God gives us to build our hope in Christ alone. That song that says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Let's pray together. God, we come before your presence. We thank you for the hope that you give us, a hope that doesn't diminish or die, but one that is living and active. A hope that we can build our lives on. And God, I just pray today, I sense that there's someone here that recognizes they've had their life founded on you, but have just kind of got caught up in other things, even ministry. And Lord, I thank you for the opportunity you give through communion. for us to confess our sins before you and to embrace the relationship that you give us, the restoration that you give us, the redemption that you give us through the elements of the bread and the wine. We ask that you bless this time in our relationship with you and each other and help us, God, in a season where it's become easy to go on autopilot and be alone and Lone Rangers, help us to lean into community and lean into each other. Confessing our faults one to another, knowing that there's healing. In Jesus' name, amen.